Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. All right, so it happened. Four teams survived, and we're here. The uh, ranking Shahan just came out a couple minutes ago. We have the matchups, number one, Alabama versus number four, Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl, number two, Michigan versus number three, Georgia in the Orange Bowl. We're going to talk about what we think of these rankings, these teams. We're going to react to the games on Saturday that got us here. And then we're going to have a whole month to preview this stuff, Shahad. What do you think of this foursome and these two matchups? Yeah, I think that with the way that things went on Saturday, this to me was obvious. I, I think that this was clearly the matchup. You can you can haggle about Alabama one or two. You can haggle about Georgia two or three. You can haggle about Michigan where they should be. Um, I mean, I certainly I think would have made the argument in the room for Cincinnati to be a little higher, but like. I think that this was always going to be the case. I think these were always going to be the matchups once these games happened. Uh, the only question was the order. And so I think that it makes sense. I mean, for all that we say about the committee, and Lord knows we all have our complaints about the committee in our own ways, I think that they arrived at the right answer. Now, I think it feels bad in hindsight now, seeing what Georgia did in their first game against a top 19 opponent because their only their only other win is number 20 Clemson uh you know it, it feels a little worse I won't lie to you after seeing that but uh you know Georgia the whole season long obviously was dominant at least against the competition that they played even though it looks a lot more like a Clemson situation than an Alabama situation right now but um you know these are the four teams I think they all deserve a shot to do it and I don't think that there was necessarily a team that clearly proved that they deserve to be over these teams so I don't love I love what ifs at, the, at certain times, at other times, what ifs drive me nuts. So I, I want to do a couple what ifs, but I don't want to bog down in it because we have to get to the fact that Georgia needs to bench its starting quarterback during bowl prep, which is always interesting. So we also have plenty of time to talk about that later, but the Stetson, Stetson Bennett should probably start his hedge fund now because he certainly should not be starting against Michigan on December 31st, given the, what happened to Georgia. And I think our new view of Georgia that if our view of Georgia was the greatest defense we've ever seen, and it almost doesn't matter who the quarterback is, Georgia's at the point where it actually matters who your quarterback is. And if it matters who your quarterback is, then it can't be Stetson Bennett, Kirby Smart. And I'm just saying things that everybody in the state of Georgia was screaming at the TV all day on Saturday. But I want to talk about a couple a couple things in the what-if thing. One is, like on the ESPN show, they asked Gary Barta, did you think about avoiding a rematch when you were doing these rankings? He's like, no, why would we ever do that? I'm a committee chairman. We would never. And then people said it would be the greatest injustice in human history if you considered avoiding a rematch. Of course you should consider avoiding a rematch. This is why we don't leave it up to algorithms and computers. We have humans in the room. Nobody wants to see Alabama, Georgia again right away. This is much better. And if I was in the room, even if I'm not allowed to express it, because then Gary has to come out. So Gary can stand up and say, hey, everybody, let's not say out loud avoiding rematch so I can tell the people on TV we didn't think about it. But you're allowed to secretly think it in your head as you vote. Shahan, I don't want Bama Georgia back to back. And that's not a sin. It's real. It's better for college football that this is it. These are the matchups, whatever. the, And it's not about the rankings at this point. You're in. It's about the matchups. Because otherwise, it's about what, what color jersey you wear. I don't care. So Bama, Cincinnati, and Michigan, Georgia make the most sense. If Georgia had beaten 
Alabama in a way that Alabama didn't get in. I We had talked about, I Michigan, Cincinnati, the semifinals, very possible. But once it's two SEC teams, I don't want teams in the same conference who have already played playing in a semi. And it's okay to think that because I'm a human who is capable of assessing what is best in the world and not just acting like a numbers robot. <laughs> no, and I mean – Look, for example, if there was a situation where we almost tried to manipulate it, where a team doesn't make the field because they're trying to avoid a rematch, I, I think that's what they don't want to put into the into the world, right? Like that's that's I think what they're worried about the perception being that oh well we didn't put Notre Dame in because we didn't want them to play Cincinnati again, for example. I but. If there's an argument, and there's always an argument, there, I can't think of a scenario where there wouldn't be an argument to slip a team between three and four or a, an argument to flip one and two. I, it's just easy to me, right? And like you said, it doesn't really matter in practice because, I mean, yeah, you know, you'll be at the Orange Bowl versus at uh, the Cotton Bowl, but like, I don't know, man, Bama fans are going to travel fine. <laughs> you know, I think everybody's going to live. I think everybody's going to be okay. Um, you know, so it, it's just, I don't think that it ends up mattering. I think that I'm not saying that it's front of mind necessarily when they're having these conversations in the committee room, but you'd be foolish not to have it. Right. I mean, I think that you do have to consider because, because you've also just seen that game or unless it's like, unless it's like maybe something where like basically that, uh, that 2018, I think, uh, Alabama, Georgia SEC title game, right. Where they win on like the last second, whichever one it was, you know, nobody wants to see the rematch again. Nobody definitely wants to see a 41-24 game rematched right away in the college football playoffs. And we might get the rematch, but they'll earn the rematch. Don't give the rematch. They earn the rematch. Because if they both win and then we get it, then it's like, okay, well, we had this thing. Then they played. They show who they showed who they are now, and they've earned this right. Fine. Great. Awesome. Wonderful. But God, like the idea. Reese Davis was like, how dare you, sir? It's like, Reese, chill out. Worry about something that matters. The other thing is this. The BCS, there's a BCS know-how Twitter account that formulates everything if the BCS was still happening. The six computers still exist. The AP and the coaches poll, so you can still slot them in, even though at the end the BCS is using the Harris poll because the AP said don't use us. Anyway, you can still simulate the BCS. And they make the point that every year in the playoff, is, I guess they've gotten the same teams, right? So here we are again. So most of the time, really, the, the like most of the time, it's not super controversial. And in the end, there's two more things I want to talk about before we talk about benching Stetson Bennett. I'll put benching Stetson Bennett in the headline. If I had a punk band, the name of my punk band would be Benching Stetson Bennett. And the title of the debut album would be Hedge Fund Quarterback, would be the debut album, Hedge Fund Quarterback. Put your hands together for, and then we'd go to Georgia. We'd open, we'd play our first gigs in Georgia, and it'd be like, put your hands together for benching Stetson Bennett. And everybody would be like, yes! Woo! And they'd be like, oh, it's a band. But I, I, you know, just like everyone says, you should name your band Free Beer. And like everybody shows up for free beer. And it's like, tonight, come to the bar for free beer. And then it's like, and now, Shahan's new ska band, Free Beer. Mine's benching Stetson Bennett. The committee, didn't end up with a tough decision. So there's two things I want to address first. First of all, the heartbreaking, just absolute nuts ending of Oklahoma State that you get four shots, you can't get in. That running back looks like he's got the corner. I still don't know how he didn't get the corner. And you're, half, you're six inches short of the pylon. Didn't matter. 
Because I think if Oklahoma State wins, this is still the same. Do you agree with that? Or do you think we would have had a knockdown, drag-out fight about Oklahoma State-Cincinnati at four? I think that we would have had a fight about Oklahoma State-Cincinnati at four. And I think that we also maybe would have legitimately have gotten Georgia in that discussion. Because I think the calculus changes at that point when you're comparing three teams versus two. Because in this scenario, I think it's very easy to kind of just be like, well, Georgia overall excellence, whatever, even though their resume isn't great. Well, if you're in a situation where you've got undefeated Cincinnati with a win over the team that they ranked number five in the country. And then you've got Oklahoma state who would have a win over at this point, number nine Baylor. I think it's number 14 Oklahoma state. And then another win over top 10 Baylor. Like that's three top 15 wins and only one loss by three points on the road. Right? Like I don't know how you can make the argument to keep Oklahoma state out. And so it be, I, I think a three-way discussion becomes very different than a two-way head-to-head Cincinnati-Georgia discussion to me. So I think it would have changed the calculus quite a bit, to be quite honest. Um, I like to think that it <laughs> wouldn't have resulted in them just being like, all right, Oklahoma State over Cincinnati, because that would have made me want to jump out a window. But uh, I do think that it would have changed the discussion. They might have still come to this conclusion, but I don't think it would have been unanimous. I think they would have come to this conclusion I feel fairly certain in that belief, but I do agree with you that the discussion in the room would have changed, but would they have gotten here anyway? Like did Oklahoma state as it turn out, turns out blow a playoff spot. I think the answer is no, because I think Bama stole their playoff spot anyway. So the second part of that is okay. Committee gets it right. Committee. Again, if you want to take things into account, Hey, they liked Michigan early. It turns out Michigan's good. I do have a take. I actually went to the Big Ten Championship game and just sat in the stands with my daughter because she's a huge football fan, and I don't get to sit and watch football games with her most of the time because I'm covering them. So every time Ohio State's like not in the Big Ten Championship game, we just go to hang out. So we went to see Penn State, Wisconsin four years ago. We went this time, and Michigan is like Michigan is really good. Michigan can win the national title. Michigan is really good. But the thing I want to get to is this: the point you're making about the Big Twelve. The idea that two loss Ohio State sitting on a couch is number six. Cause they've, as we record this, we didn't wait for the bull pairings because good luck with everybody in the bulls. It's vacation time, but it's not what matters. That Ohio State is ranked ahead of two loss Baylor that has a big 12 championship and has a greater collection of wins by far. Ohio State has one decent win over Michigan State. That's it. That's the only team Ohio State has beaten. Sucks faith out of the committee for me, man. It's like, well, they got the right four teams, but it's kind of because they couldn't screw it up. Ohio State at six is indications of I think they were capable of screwing this up if we had gotten more chaotic. Yeah, it's always about the process, right? Because, and that's even when we look down ballot, it's looking at that process. And that's why I try not to read too much into like 20 to 25 because I don't think that they use any sort of process to that, right? I think that it very much is uh, a little bit of confirmation bias or making a point or making a case or whatever, right? I mean, well, they're sleepy after three or four cookies. They get sleepy. <laughs> I mean, Kentucky suddenly a top 25 team again. Look at that. Georgia's three top 25 wins. How about that, right? But um, I mean, the, I will say, right? I, I do think that this bothers me a little bit because we've heard all the time that conference championships matter that top wins matter and historically i think the committee has been pretty consistent of valuing wins over losses right i mean back in 2014 yeah you know ohio state loses to a bad virginia tech team but 
it should matter, I think, more what they did, who they beat, than who they lost to. And in the case of Baylor, you got a team that has three top 15 wins. Like you mentioned, uh, Ohio State has that one over Michigan State, which they kind of just found uh, found where the inefficiency was and exploited it over and over. It was just a team that couldn't match up with them well. And so the question is, like, does that one good game that they played against a team that has any sort of pulse does that outweigh the two times that they got beat pretty bad by the other top 15 teams that they played, right? I mean, I don't know. And somebody asked me, like, oh, well, if, if you put Baylor and Ohio State on a neutral field, who do you think wins? I mean, I think it would be a great game, but that's not really the point, is it? Like, I, I, the point isn't really, like, do you think that Ohio State could find that inefficiency? No. Baylor does the things that Ohio State struggle with. They run the ball well, and they uh, they defend on the line of scrimmage really well. But, like, if we are in a position, even though it doesn't matter, none of this matters, right? This is about the process of the committee. We're questioning the, some of the results that make us question the process, yes. Right, because we've heard, again, conference championships, quality wins, beating bowl teams, and there is one team in that scenario that's clearly been better than the other from that perspective. And if that's just kind of thrown out because they think Ohio State's just better because of, I'm assuming advanced metrics. I'm assuming that that's what they're relying on. What does that mean? What is that? And the thing, like I joke about the fact that like the committee loved Michigan. And it turns out Michigan's really good. But the reason we know Michigan's really good is because they've won games that matter. It's not because it's still metrics, metrics, metrics. It's because the results then match the metrics. The results for Ohio State don't match whatever the metrics say. The results do not match it. And if you're eye-testing your way to like, I just think Ohio State's better, why? Honestly, why? Why do you think that? Because they have three good receivers? Like, I don't, I don't see it. When you watch how well-coached Michigan is this year, Michigan is incredibly well-coached on both sides of the ball. And you compare that to what Ohio State does defensively, both from a personnel talent standpoint and the way they were coached this year, you are a fool. If you think, oh, no, I'm sure Ohio State, no, you're wrong. Like, so don't, and the metrics don't have, like, it's not, and, and the, the resume on the field does not back it up. And then, by the way, again, that Oregon loss looks worse and worse and worse and worse. Awful. Without Awful. Kayvon Thibodeau, and we see what Oregon really has turned out to be. That turns out to be a bad loss. The Michigan loss is a good loss because Michigan's really good. The Oregon loss is bad. You have one decent win. Baylor absolutely should be ahead of Ohio State. Thank God it doesn't matter. Because the committee in the end made me really nervous about squeezing in an Ohio State team that honestly has done nothing to deserve to be there. And if you are claiming that you think like Notre Dame doesn't deserve it either, well, Notre Dame has like one good loss, just like Ohio State. Notre Dame doesn't have a, doesn't have a crappy loss to Oregon like Ohio State does. So like Oregon's not that good, it turns out. And Notre Dame, all right, well, they only played North Carolina and Florida State and USC. At least they beat them. At least they beat them. And then you compare Notre Dame's win over Wisconsin to Ohio State's win over Michigan State. Notre Dame should be ahead of Ohio State. And if you think Ohio State should be that high, God, it makes me nervous. that there are people in that room who are talking themselves into things that are based on reputation and perception that are not real. A lot of what we thought about Ohio State turned out not to be real. Now, some of what we thought about Georgia also turned out not to be real. But Ohio State proved it twice. Georgia only proved it once. So that's where we are. Thank goodness it doesn't matter. We got the right four teams, and then Ohio State can go play Utah. And again, Ohio State's going to play a team in Utah. It's going to be the 19th time they've played a better linebacker than any linebacker on Ohio State's team when they played Devin Lloyd in Utah this, this, in the Rose Bowl. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about my new band. Do you play any instruments? 
not ones that would uh that would appear in any sort of uh band that you would <laughs> i played the oboe and the violin I was going to say you give off a clarinet vibe. I got a clarinet vibe with you. <laughs> that, that's my wife. That's my wife. I'm the oboe player. <laughs> we can work with that. We can work with that. I play the trumpet. We're going to be one of those like with like some, a horn section in our band. So we just need a bassist, a drummer, a singer, a lead guitar player, a rhythm guitar player. And then we'll have, we'll be ready to launch Benching, Benching Stetson Bennett because we have trumpet, oboe, violin, and your wife plays clarinet. She's, she's in. Is she in? <laughs> there you go. She's in. I, I will spend the month of December writing the first hit single off the new album, Hedge Fund Quarterback, from the new band, Benching Stetson Bennett, next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan, Shahan of CBS Sports, who's just cranking out the stuff. Man, for, for real, like bookmark it. Can we bookmark Shahan? If we just Google Shahan, like, like, do you have a page at CBS Sports where we can get all the stuff, or do we have to read all the CBS Sports stuff to find you? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you Google my name, CBS Sports, then you can see my writer's page. If, if you want to type it into the address bar, it's cbsports.com slash writers slash Shahan dash Jayaraja. So, you know, if you wanted to do that, I've, uh, gosh, how many, how many things have I written in the past 24 hours? It's been quite a bit. You know how many things I've written in the past 24 hours? None. <laughs> I was eating pulled pork in the Big Ten Championship game. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really good. So, uh, I love pulled pork. I, I love all pulled meats. So here's the thing. The, uh, yeah, you agree with that. You live in Texas. So here's, let's talk about, uh, what was the thing I was talking about? Oh, that's right. The former number one team in the country needs to bench its quarterback. This is what Georgia did to open the game. Punt, field goal, touchdown, punt, punt. So three punts on, on, on the first five possessions. Not great. Second half. It's a game at the half. It's a game. It's a game at the half. First three possessions of the second half. Interception. Turn it over on downs, pick six interception. G-O. We talked about this. We weren't the only people. I mean, everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. And Kirby Smart did not want to rock the boat. Nick Saban has rocked his boat. Okay, that might be the first single. Nick Saban has rocked my boat. That's the first single. Okay, so it's rocked. You've got to change. I was a little surprised he didn't go to JT Daniels at some point once the game was over to like get let JT see it again and loosen up. You have to do it. You have to do it. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to do it. Do you agree he has to? And if you agree he has to, do you actually think Kirby Smart will change quarterbacks before the semifinal against Michigan? I do think that he has to do it. I do think he's going to do it. Um, I, I think that what he saw with this game is that it wasn't close, right? If it was a close game that Georgia just lost and, you know, and Stetson played well, I think that that's a different situation, right? I think then you just try to tweak some things and try to make it better. But this is a different situation. This is you went out there and you got blown off the field, right? I mean, this game was not close, especially in the second half. And so if you're in that situation, you have a card that you have not played as yet, right? You can fundamentally change something about your football team, which is something that most teams cannot do. What these teams are is what they are. Uh, the one, the one thing that I'll push back on is that I get it. Stetson Bennett didn't play great, had two interceptions. Uh, Georgia's offense didn't play awesome. It is way more concerning to me that the first time that 
Georgia's defense plays a quarterback better than Hendon Hooker that they give up 319 yards in the second quarter. 319 yards. The thing that you're talking about is the most important thing. But because that is true, you must change quarterbacks. Stetson Bennett is not the reason they lost that game. The fact that their defense was exposed to some degree or did not live up to the standard it had set previously against bad quarterbacks was the reason Georgia lost. But once that happened, they did not have a quarterback who could get them back in the game. Totally. I I think that it just, it it changes the calculus to where you think that your team is built around having a great defense and doing enough offensively. And it turns out, yes, you have a really good defense, but it's just a really good defense. And that's not good enough. It's not good enough to be able to sit on a game. It's not good enough to be able to hold every opponent under 20 because it it turns out you just weren't battle tested. It turns out that you just haven't played a team worth a damn this whole season. It's going to be really interesting because when you think about these matchups, and we're going to do some breakdowns. We're going to dive into some breakdowns in December, so we don't have to do all the matchup stuff right now. Bama just faced a quarterback that couldn't do anything against them. Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati is going to be more of a challenge. He's a more competent, thoughtful, dynamic, one-pass option quarterback, right? I really like Desmond Ritter. I think Desmond Ritter will appear on my Heisman ballot because – if we're talking about a team doing something that no team like it has ever done in a chaotic college football season, I'm looking for a person who helped make that happen because I believe that to some extent, the Heisman tells the story of a college football season. Cincinnati is part of this college football season. And if I'm looking for a person who helped tie it together for Cincinnati, even though they are a defense first team, Desmond Ritter is that guy, but Desmond Ritter is more of a challenge than Stetson Bennett. So you look at that matchup and it's like, well, is, it, is Alabama just going to roll everybody? It's all right. Well, you already have a different part of the equation for, for Alabama. For Georgia, you just got Bryce Young. And Bryce Young might get every first place vote <laughs> for the Heisman. I think the three people that I'm thinking are, are on my ballot at the moment, again, I think I have to reflect the season and the playoff. I'm thinking it's Desmond Ritter, Aiden Hutchinson, and Bryce Young. Because Georgia, if you thought like, hey, who's the Georgia guy? It's like, nobody. I don't. That that defense isn't what we thought it was. But so now you're Georgia, and it's like, man, we just got Bryce Young. It's like, okay, you're not facing Bryce Young. You're facing a really good rushing attack, a well-coached team in Michigan, but it's Caden McNamara, not Bryce Young. So you also change the calculus for Georgia. So what we saw in Georgia-Alabama, it doesn't mean we'll see that when Alabama and Georgia play again if they both win, but it's also very different matchups for both those teams. And Georgia has to get it together, but I, I just think – Some of this is on Kirby. And I think we talked about the Saban mental block. It's clearly still there. It's clearly still there. And it's one of these things, when you have these teams who are never underdogs, and they get to be underdogs, Alabama got to be an underdog for the first time in five years. They seized on that. Kirby couldn't handle it. So the psychological stuff isn't going to be there either. So as it turns out, we saw the worst of Georgia. And it doesn't excuse that. That defense is not quite what we thought. But I think not. they're going to change quarterbacks, but also I think Georgia's going to look like a very different team when they play on December 31st. I think they are, right? And and again, like I said, no team in college football really can just change fundamentally what they are. But I, I think that we saw in the last four games of last year with JT Daniels that they have an aspect in the passing game that they kind of choose not to, to use typically. And I mean, I... 
I hate getting into this conversation because I think that it it gives into people's dumbest impulses about college football. But, you know, I mean, I do think that there are some parts of Georgia's team and game plan that they did not unveil yesterday, right? That they do think that, especially in the second half when it started getting away from them, I think they were like, let's regroup. This is a loss. This is not going to happen. Now, Georgia needed to win that game psychologically. I don't think Georgia's going to win the national title now. I, I think that they are psychologically fried. I, I think that they have proven that they are beatable. I think that Alabama, not, not every team can do what Alabama did, but I think that Alabama's proven that, uh, that there is a strategy to beating them now that other teams, I think, can replicate to some extent. Um, you know, but, uh, but I do think that, that Georgia does have aspects, like I said, that, that they can change. They're going to get George Pickens back for bowl, bowl practice. You know, he played a little bit in the final two games, but they're going to really get him back. And George Pickens was their best receiver, uh, for all of last season, right? So they can make fundamental changes, but I am, I am worried just psychologically more than anything else for Georgia in their biggest game since the national title game, I guess in 2017, I think it was, uh, I, I am concerned about the fact that they came out and laid one of the biggest eggs that we've seen Georgia lay. It really calls into question everything we've always questioned about Kirby Smart, which is, okay, well, you can kind of build it, but can you execute it when it matters? And that is a legitimate criticism that remains when you do this in this game. They threw that 37-yard deep ball back shoulder to George Pickens. At one point, I was like, they're back. Like this is the new, not that they're back. They're here. This is new Georgia. This is what we've been waiting for Georgia. And then it was like, it was a blip. George Pickens had one other catch for like four yards. It was a blip. Brock Bowers is one of the biggest offensive threats in college football at tight end. They got multiple tight ends out there. You can see the threats, right? That's the thing, Shahan. They've been so injured in the passing game, but their guys are back now. As you said, Pickens is only going to get more back. Jermaine Burton is back now. They have the two tight ends uh, with Bowers and Washington. That Washington sort of post up for the touchdown in the end zone. Man, he looks like a power forward going up for a rebound on something like this. There are things... That in the in the process of Stetson Bennett not getting it done, there are moments when it's like, man, I think Georgia has a chance to be good on offense. And they need a quarterback who ties it together. So they're going to get to that. And that's how we'll talk about Georgia during the course of this. Let's talk about Bama because I am intrigued. I'm not intrigued. It actually annoys me. <laughs> I'll just say annoyed. I'll just say annoyed. That's like a B-side. I'll just say annoyed. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like – Nick Saban, rock my boat. I'll just say annoyed. Saban is like, ah, you guys didn't believe in us. Uh, we were the underdog, the rap poison stuff. I get it. And like the media is like, ah, you're so great. Nick Saban is like, okay, it's just coaches being ding dong. <laughs> and then Jim Harbaugh's like, nobody believed enough. That's we were two and four. Michigan was two and four last year. We, people yeah. thought Jim Harbaugh should be fired. So it's like there was <laughs> right. plenty of – you gave us plenty of reason not to believe in you, Michigan. Yeah. That, that's on you, man. I don't know what to tell you. We went 0-12, and, and you thought we sucked. It's because you sucked. Alabama should have lost last week to a backup quarterback for Auburn. And it's like, oh, you didn't believe – it's on you, Nick. It's on you, brother. This isn't us. This is you. Alabama and Michigan absolutely gave everybody plenty of reason to doubt them. So if Nick Saban wants to play the college football season in a sealed vault with nobody around because like, hey, talking about football is so egregious to him, like, ah, ah, ha, ha, rat poison. But that's so that's the thing. Bama got up for this because for the first time in five years or seven years, they got to be an underdog. 
I call them overdogs. I've seen it happen to Ohio State every now and then. Ohio State goes through the Big Ten. They're supposed to beat everybody. Then Ohio State get, gets on the national stage, and when they go against Clemson or Alabama, they're off, often the underdog. But it's like you're a team that has talent and experience on the big stage, and now you're not expected to win, and you cherish that. You're an overdog, and it happened with Ohio State against Clemson in the semifinal last year. It's like, oh, great. Like All we, do, all we live with, all Bama lives with, for a decade is expectation. They finally have the expectation lifted and it's like they're off and running. So maybe we all should have seen that coming more, but we did talk about it, right? There was some intangible stuff here that went towards Bama, Kirby not being able to handle it and Saban getting to be an underdog. But I don't know for sure that that's the Bama we're going to get against Cincinnati. And if we get the Bama that almost lost to Auburn, that did lose to Texas A&M, Cincinnati can play with that Bama. And I think it's possible we get that Bama, which is why I am not assuming that Bama's going to blow the doors off an experienced, competent, well-coached Cincinnati team with some NFL players. Yeah, and so so the thing that I'll say about this matchup is that one of the things that's been interesting about the four-team playoffs specifically is that I think in some ways it's actually been very like, uh, like I think it's made things easier in some ways for the most talented teams because it basically means that a team has to pull two like really big upsets in a row. Um, you know, whereas for example, if it's, if it's 12 teams, if it's 16 teams, something like that, right? Then, then like everybody has to play multiple really tough games. It's easier to win one game and then play for the national title, I think, than to have to play a good team, play a good team, play a good team all in a row, right? And so, I think that it, for that reason, I like this for Cincinnati. Because, for example, if Cincinnati has to go play Georgia, and I think that Cincinnati certainly can beat Georgia and, and potentially would beat Georgia, but, like, that's, like, a crazy body blow type of game, right? Like, that's a crazy, like, oh, my gosh, we won, but, like, our bodies are gone from this game. Um, Alabama this year I don't think is quite that. I, I don't think that they're quite, like, crazy body blow team i just don't think that they're that, that type of team whereas georgia and michigan for example that's going to be a crazy body blow game like th- that's gonna wear the heck out of those two teams and so i think if you're cincinnati i think that it is a positive if you feel like alabama might now right at this moment be the best team in the country i think getting them in this first game when you're going to be totally fresh when you're going to be totally healthy i think that that's a positive for them and uh and that doesn't mean that Cincinnati's going to come in and beat the brakes off of a really good Alabama team, but I do think that this is a favorable situation for them. Luke Fickle on the Ohio State staff to beat Alabama in the 2014 semifinal. He might, I don't know if he'll choose to bring that up to his team or not, but he's been down this road. So we'll take this last break and come back and tell you why Shahad thinks Cincinnati will win the national title. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan back this week, later this week. Uh, I definitely want to do a show looking back at our preseason picks, where we were right, where we were wrong. And I would like to do something that is something to the effect of the five dis- biggest disappointments from a playoff perspective this season and the five most pleasant surprises from a playoff perspective, right? Whether it's a team that even got in the mix that you didn't expect, whether it's, you know, a team that was never in the mix that you did expect, like who I- I'd like to do some roundup of how we got this four and who's not in the four later this week. And then we'll start getting into matchups. I think we'll probably do a whole show on one semifinal, a whole show on another semifinal, maybe do some Q and A's. So we'll keep doing these shows 
through the course of December and and let you guys know what we what we have planned. We might even do we're thinking about maybe even doing more of the week of the games, but we'll let you know. For now, I'm just kidding. We're not going to make our picks for anything right now, but I do want to talk about Michigan. Michigan, they come out, they have their freshman halfback through a touchdown pass 50 yards down the field in that game. I thought it was really interesting. I thought going into that game, I had said Michigan of all the four teams was maybe the one that had so two underdogs won yesterday among the four games that mattered for the playoff. Baylor beat Oklahoma State, Alabama beat Georgia. I had said, oh, the, I think it's Michigan's the most likely to lose if someone loses. So I was wrong on that. But it's because I thought Michigan and Iowa were kind of similar. They're good defenses, run first, not great quarterbacks. And I thought that game showed while maybe their, their game plans are similar, how they go about it is so dissimilar. And Iowa is a typical boring, stale Three, three and out, happy to punt, don't cash in turnovers, no dynas, no dynamic aspect to the passing game, no dynamic aspect to the play calling when you got the coaches, unqualified son for Iowa calling the plays. Embarrassing. This is the thing when you hire your son as the offensive coordinator, it's like you can't even have a discussion about firing somebody who maybe deserves to be fired because it's like, that's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> One time when I was on a, I was at a show where I was hip. People got hypnotized. I'm very good at getting hypnotized because I fall asleep quickly. I got hypnotized and I had to go up on stage and the hypnotist person uh, told me to pretend that my shoe was the Lion King cub and I was supposed to hold my shoe over my head like Rafiki does with Simba at the in the Lion King. I took my shoe off and I was briefly cradling my shoe before I held it up and the hypnotist was like, what are you doing? And I was crying. And I was looking at my shoe and I said, that's my boy. And so, and then I held up my shoe because I was so into the moment. So, so that's how Kirk Ferentz feels about Brian Ferentz. He looks down at that shoe and he says, someone says he's hypnotized. And they're like, Kirk, you have the 120th ranked offense in major college football. And he looks down at Brian Ferentz and he says, that's my boy. And he's hypnotized and believing that he should keep him as offensive coordinator. That's not my point. My point is, you could have balance offensively without throwing and passing. You could have balance within the run game. Michigan is so dynamic in the run game. Inside and outside, power and counters. Like, it is so dynamic. Josh Gaddish is doing a great job. They don't make mistakes. They don't make mistakes. They don't get – like, this. there's not, like, pass interferences. They're not jumping off sides. They are so solid. Plus, they have the best defensive player in college football. Plus – they have some dynamic guys at running back. Man, there's a formula there. And Michigan, if anybody doubted the Ohio State win for Michigan, they followed it up with an absolutely dominating performance that makes me think that can work in the playoff. I think that Brian Ferentz should be tried for war crimes because that is the worst. I just... It's bad. Uh, I, I just... I have a new appreciation for teams that uh, after watching Michigan all year, after watching uh, Georgia even all year, right? I have a new appreciation for sort of how teams can be dynamic uh, with the way that they do the run game, right? Even Oklahoma State, for example. Uh, Iowa is like what people think when they think of 
like just terrible run based offense, right? Where it's literally just like, let's just give the ball to Tyler Goodson and literally run into our own linemen because we just don't have a plan, right? Like that, that's what I want. I just want a plan. I just want to understand what you're trying to do. I want to understand where was he supposed to go on that? Where was the lineman supposed to? None of it looks like it's coordinated at all. And it just makes me so angry watching it. But that's beside the point. I'm glad that we don't have to watch that team in the college football playoff. Um, no, but I, I do have a, an appreciation for Michigan. I think that they've been really dynamic. I think they've, uh, they've used sort of misdirection a lot more than they have in previous years. They, they sometimes were a little guilty, not to the Iowa extent, but of of being very inside zone uh, saturated and and kind of just being like, we're going to run it up the gut. And if we don't win our one on one battles and like we're screwed sort of thing. Um, and, and I think that they've gotten a lot more dynamic in that regard. I think that uh, that defense is aren't as prepared for what they're trying to do. And and, and Cade McNamara has just been good and efficient. He, he's been good enough. And. Uh, yeah, I, I've been pretty impressed by what I've seen by, uh, from this Michigan offense so far. I'm definitely curious to see it against a really good defense in Georgia that, that does have those, uh, those guys that can win one-on-one battles. Um, but I do want to derail this for one second and, and give a requiem for the playoff that could have been because if Alabama loses that football game against Georgia and Oklahoma State, let's just say hypothetically makes it in, we're looking at four teams that have not won a national championship since at least 1997, right? Michigan won one in 97. Uh, before that, it was Georgia in 1980. Oklahoma State has a hilarious national title from 1945 that was calculated by the Sagarin ratings that I don't really count. Uh, and Cincinnati's never won one. So, like, we would be at, at best or at worst having a first title in 41 years with Georgia or, or I guess, and then or 97 with Michigan. Instead, we've got the 2020 national chance back in the field as the overwhelming favorite. That sucks a little bit, but it should still be a lot of fun to see three teams that really haven't been on this stage before have a chance to, uh, to win a national championship. As we have said a million times since the very first show in July, 20 of the first 28 spots in the playoff were taken up by four teams Three of those teams missed the playoff this year, but Alabama survives. And that's what you're talking about. We were in a world where people want something new. Michigan knocked off Ohio State, something new. Oklahoma State took a care of Oklahoma, almost something new. Clemson was wiped out from the start, but Georgia had a chance to vanquish Bama and give us something new. And that, you know, that's the thing. I mean, like people want new stuff. It's like, well, it's still going to be like conference champs from the best conferences. You're still looking at... SEC champ, Big Ten champ, Big 12 champ, probably. It's just somebody else has different has to be the champ. So that's what we got. We got different champs, so we have a different playoff, except it wasn't quite different enough. Bama survives. So we now are in a situation where 21 of the 32 spots have been taken up by those spots, by those four teams. But you almost were in a spot where all of them would have been out. I think it's a good playoff. I think Alabama-Cincinnati has a chance to be a really good game. I think Georgia-Michigan has a chance to be a great game. I think Georgia-Michigan has a chance to be great because I think it is two, as you said, physical football teams. And to see, like, when we when we watch that, again, the, that diverse Michigan run game against, like, the Ohio State defense, like, well, Ohio State's defense isn't very good. Iowa's defense is better, but still had no chance. Okay, now here's Georgia. And Georgia's going to be so happy that it's not Bryce Young. They're like, okay, we respect this run game, but we'll take that over Bryce Young finding Jamison Williams. How was Jamison Williams that wide open in the middle of the field <laughs> right. for that catch and run that sparked Bama and they're off to the races? 
I don't, what was, what kind of shell zone was that that Georgia was playing that it's like, what's the thing that's going to happen here? Well, Jamison Williams is going to kind of run across the middle of the field, catch the ball in stride, and then run away from everybody like he's in the Olympics. Do you think maybe you might have a plan for that? Dan Lanning, that was awful. And then that's what got Bama rolling. Bryce Young, you're you're allowed to not get sacked after 1.3 seconds. We have to cover that long. I I was told that uh, that nobody was allowed to throw further than seven yards against us, but it turns out when you try to do that, it makes playing defense a lot harder. So, yeah, it's a uh, no. And and I do want to go back to what you said. You know, definitely some people were like, "Well, it's just the SEC champ, Big Ten champ, second SEC team, all that." I mean, all these teams are different, right? All these teams have different fan bases. It, just because Michigan's in the playoff as the Big Ten champ, well, they're not Ohio State fans. Like, they are fans of the Big Ten. But, but, but like, it's different, right? It's more people getting included. It's uh, with Cincinnati. You know I mean? Obviously, I think that they're going to put on in a lot of ways for the whole group of five, right? Every team that's not in these Power Five conferences are gonna, is going to be excited about them making it. And so, no, it's a good thing that these teams did. And the other thing that's great about it is that all of these teams very much earned it. Every one of these four teams that, uh, that made the college football playoff, you know, Georgia earned it by being consistently excellent for 12 games. Uh, Alabama earned it by beating the number one team in the country. Michigan had to vanquish their hated opponent who they haven't beaten since 2011. And Cincinnati had to beat the number five team in the country on the road. Like nobody can say that anybody backed into the college football playoff this year. Uh, even the teams that aren't part of those original four, you know, who now make up 11 of the 32 spots, every single one of them earned that spot there. It wasn't that somebody faltered. It wasn't that Ohio State just decided not to be good this year. Every one of those teams deserved their spot in the playoff. And I think that's really exciting for the sport. I think that's going to be good. We're going to slow it down for a ballad. I think track four, everybody earned it. I mean, we can't just all be tongue in cheek. Everybody earned it. Uh, That'll be Stetson. That'll, that'll be, that'll kind of, maybe we'll have him guest on that one. That'll be our band benching Stetson Bennett featuring Stetson Bennett on the ballad. Everybody earned it. Okay. We'll be back this week as usual. Uh, We'll, we'll start breaking down all this stuff. We'll talk about where we were right, where we were wrong from the beginning of the season. But for now we've got a good playoff. We've got a good playoff, and you were exactly right, Shahan. All four teams earned their spots. We appreciate you guys making the College Football Survivor Show part of your college football experience. Read Shahan at CBS Sports. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.